And then we've got some real innovation then in both the pork and the lamb. And it's great because this recipe could be extended to all sorts of different protein. You know, I could do it with buffalo (laughs) or game meat or all sorts of different things. Um, But we have blended the beef and chicken to create a, a, a hamburger substitute. And then we've created some innovation because, you know, we know that hamburgers and ground meat is center of the plate family meals. Yet even all of us who love burgers you know, get bored once in a while. <laughs> so we created an opportunity to actually do the same type of thing with pork and with lamb. And it's amazing how wonderful these burgers are in terms of providing something different. Um, that's a burger. It cooks from frozen, you know, 12 minutes from the freezer to being able to put on the, on the table. Fantastic for, you know, busy moms who are feeding the kids and getting them off to practice. Um, and, you don't have to say, oh, I forgot to go to the grocery store and buy my ground beef. You can just literally pick them out of the freezer and go. Welcome to Winning at Work, the podcast for foodies, founders, and food and beverage professionals. You know, if you wanted to discover a new brand, a new food or beverage to try, there are literally thousands of companies out there. It is very difficult to do that. That's why we curate the different the better and the special brands here each and every week so you don't have to do the heavy lifting. If you're a founder and you're looking to connect with other like-minded executives, we make that very easy. And if you just work in the food and beverage industry and you're looking for fresh inspiration, we have that here in spades. This episode is sponsored by Temple. Congratulations, you're selling in retail. But the competition is fierce and your brand is surrounded by similar products. How will consumers find you? Let Temple show you an innovative retail sales solution. Click on the Attract Consumers link below. Need to attract great employees? Click on the Hire Now below and we'll show you how to use your culture to help you stand out. Stay tuned for this week's episode. Welcome to Winning at Work, everybody. Today, have I got a good one for you. I have Michelle Alderman. She's the CEO of Excite Holdings, which includes crossover quality meats. I got my crossover burgers in the mail after the podcast. So I've got them here right now with me. They're frozen. And I've just cooked up two patties for myself and my wife to sample and to try And if you did not know that these were frozen, if you did not know this was a blend, a crossover blend between chicken and beef, I think you'd be hard pressed. The chicken really gives the the patty this consistency uh, that's very similar to a a burger, but it doesn't, doesn't shrink when you cook it. So have a big, big bun ready because this is not gonna shrink. I have a lot of experience on the grill. I just put a little extra oil I was cooking these at about 600, 625 roughly temperature, five minutes each side. The juices and the uh, the oils, everything kind of bubbled up very nicely on top. I flipped them after five, after 10 minutes total, put them on the top rack, killed the heat and just kind of let it sit in the, the hot grill uh, with indirect heat. I always like to finish meat with like the indirect. I don't like to overcook. Very, very impressed with this crossover blend of taking chicken and beef and blending it 
into, I think, a burger that you'd be very hard-pressed to tell was a blend. And apparently, they've done this with multiple proteins. So I've got chicken and beef. I've got chicken and pork and chicken and lamb. And I did chicken beef and chicken pork. I could tell the two apart, but it was not as close as you would think. So surprisingly, they've done a nice job with the recipe. Now, the chicken lamb, I'm sure, will taste, uh, it should taste quite a bit different from the, from the chicken and beef. But she says it's not, it's not gamey. So I'm looking forward to checking that out. So that's just kind of a quick review. If you're looking for a product that you know is more sustainable in that it's not relying 100% on uh, cows and grazing and that larger footprint that it takes to, to bring cows to finish, uh, this is a unique approach. And I think the really smart thing that Michelle Alderman has done here is she's not trying to alter consumer behavior. When you start telling people to go out and eat, you know, plant-based this, plant-based that, your general average Joe consumer doesn't know what it is. You know, they look at the back of the package. They don't understand it. There is nothing confusing at all about this. This is a blend of chicken and a blend of beef. That's it. It's a very smart entry, I think, into this space. Um, I think she's going to be very, very competitive with this, in fact, Right now, it's going to be found mostly direct to consumer. Uh, very shortly, it's going to be in retail. So I want you to stick around, learn a little bit more about Michelle Alderman and her origin story that started off in Africa in the bush and how she launched her company, Excite, how she is providing jobs and economic lift throughout Africa and the kind of awards and uh, uh, you know acknowledgments that she's been getting for doing this great work. Um, overseas, and how she started and launched Crossover Blends here in America, which we should be finding very soon in retail. So stick around for this week's episode with Michelle Alderman. Well, thank you so much for having me. Back in 2021, you were named as a Cornell Distinguished Alumni in uh, 2020 to the Meaningful Business 100 by Ernst & Young in 2019 by Forbes Africa as a top 20 new wealth creator and CEO magazine as Africa's 2017 most influential woman in business and professional services. So that's a lot to live up to. <laughs> I, I tell you what, I, I why am I even, I, you should be running the podcast with your background. Heck no, I'll leave it to you. What's the genesis of this for you in, in Africa and in the work that you're doing in Botswana and, and beyond? Yeah, it's um, it was kind of an accident, to, to be really honest. <laughs> um, you know, as, as things happen, as things happen in life, right? You know, we have we have uh, you know accidental shifts in our career and our direction. We birth accidental companies. We can talk about that. Um, but you know, I spent the first part of my career at Accenture. Um, the big management consulting firm, 22 years, I guess. And I traveled to Africa for the first time on vacation um, around Southern Africa, South Africa, Botswana, Zimbabwe, that kind of part of the region of, of, of Africa. You know, when you go into the safari, um, you're generally off the grid. So, you, you know, I had to give up my beloved BlackBerry and I had to try to like relax and Unplug. become like, and, and unplug and become one with the universe. But I have to say, after about, you know, 10 days of going on safari, 
I started to get a little antsy. Um, and I didn't so miss, miss, miss my Blackberry, but I was missing kind of, you know, the interaction. And so I found myself, you know, skipping out on safari and staying behind in camp and sitting around the campfire when it was really quiet, you know, everybody else had gone out, you know, on game drives, you know, drinking copious amounts of coffee with, you know, whoever was, you know, whatever manager was left in camp to basically entertain me because that's what they had to do if I decided to stay behind. And we had a lot of really great conversations and I was just fascinated with Africa. I had never been there before. I'd worked all over the world in terms of working in Asia, South Asia, Europe, you know, across the United States, touch in South, uh, South America, but I'd never been to Africa. And I was just kind of soaking it all in, in terms of what the way of life was. And this was, you know, at the peak or just after the peak of the major HIV AIDS crisis in Africa, um, which really, you know, for a country like Botswana, which only has 2 million people, I mean, almost decimated the entire country. Um, and so, you know, I was learning a lot about, you know, from the managers and so forth that I was sitting around talking with about over coffee about what was going on with their children you know, and I was fascinated with the idea that they could live in camp, you know, in the bush for three months on and then go home for a month. And I'm like, but you have three kids. Like, who's taking care of the kids? Oh, my sister takes care of the kids or my, my mother takes care of the kids. And I was like, I don't think my mom had let me like dump the kids off and like let me run off to the bush for, for three months. But that's, you know, that's very much part of culture, right? If you have the opportunity to have work, um, you take that job and somebody in the family member will pick up the household and the, and the caregiving activities. But so on the back of that um, experience, you know, I found myself, you know, going to orphanages and going to schools. I still got a couple of wineries stuck in there. Uh, so it wasn't all it wasn't all serious. Um, but I decided to get involved in some nonprofit activities uh, in Botswana in particular. And so um, I started I joined the board of an organization called Banabalatsatsi, which means Children of the Sun. And it's an organization that helps support orphan and vulnerable children, getting them mainstreamed back into school if they've dropped out, and then providing them a safe place to be after school. And then I started a foundation, um, which has morphed now and taken many forms, uh, called Travel for Impact. And everybody can find it for, on travelforimpact.com. And what we were doing is advocating for um, issues of orphan and vulnerable children, the creation of women's livelihoods, and the preservation of culture and heritage. Um, so that was that. So I was doing these nonprofit activities, came, you know, had come back to New York. And whenever I had a chance to, you know, have a week or two of vacation, I would use that vacation to go back to Botswana and work on the foundation and engage and then, you know, come back home and get right back to work. So fast forward 18 months, I had a real, I don't say change of heart. My mother doesn't like it when I say I had a midlife crisis. <laughs> so, um, you know, let's just say I had, I had, a, I, had a, I had an interruption in my thinking. Um, and I was really thinking about the, the other thing that had happened was I'd had an opportunity to actually go on a trade mission to Botswana. So um, I've been asked by the ambassador from Botswana to the United States 
to participate in this trade mission and was able to go to Botswana as a, you know, kind of as a visitor in a place that I was starting to feel very comfortable in, but watch how the government rolled out what they thought you should be investing in and why as, as an investor. And I went through that experience and I was kind of confused <laughs> because the things that they were articulating that you should invest in and why didn't make a lot of sense to me in the global context of which I sat. Um, and so for I, example, for example, um, the government at the time was advocating that they really wanted to be the new tech center for call centers. Right. So I was like, okay, so you want to be a, you know, I ran a 2000 head call center when I was in, at Accenture. So I was like, okay, first of all, you only have a 56 KB dial up line into the country. <laughs> so you're going to have a hard time with the technology infrastructure to be a call center capital. Right. I'm um, second of all, you know, just the turnover on a 2000 head call center, you know, I w- you would have to interview every single college graduate in the entire country just to fill the turnover. Um, you know, so it just, it wasn't very practical in the grand scheme of things. So I decided that I was going to take a turn and take a little two year, a little two year sabbatical and go to Botswana and turn my, you know, take my hand at trying to build some businesses And at the time, I was really thinking about cottage businesses, you know, sewing groups or other things that would help empower women and create employment. So they would have some financial security, some sense of independence and ability to provide for their children. Um, And so I went and I had this investment thesis, you know, because, you know, I'm a consultant and, you know, now a, a newly, you know, minted entrepreneur and you have to have an investment thesis. So I decided, you know, what I wanted to do is I wanted to build businesses that um, created real net new activity in the economy. So a lot of African economies are driven by metals and mining. So, you know, digging stuff out of the ground or through trade. If you don't have a not trade in the Wall Street trading sense, but trade in the like, you know, if you don't have food in Botswana, you buy it from South Africa. If you don't have if you don't make clothes in Botswana, you buy them from China. Um, So everything is kind of just moving goods back and forth and nothing is really, no value is really created. And I grew up in Buffalo, south of Buffalo, right? You know, we're the Rust Belt, like we like to make things. So I was like, I want to, I want to create businesses that make things that create new economic activity. Um, I obviously wanted those businesses to be able to employ women and young people. I wanted to use technology as the catalyst to change, to create something new and different. And I wanted whatever I did to be environmentally sustainable and to protect the environment. And so, you know, I looked at a whole host of things. I, um, you know, I bought a recycling plant. That was a really bad idea. (laughs) I invested in a solar project. Um, But I kept on coming back to agriculture as a a way of kind of hitting all of the criteria in in my investment thesis, because I could use technology. In this case, we implemented very high-tech hydroponic greenhouses in effectively a country that's 90% desert or 98% desert. Um, We were able to employ women and young people. Uh, That technology is very protective to the environment. We only use 2% of the water that you would use to grow those crops otherwise. And we came up with this very unique distributed growing model where we grew um, just outside the city centers. So, Wait, what does that uh, mean? Distributed growing model. 
So what we did is, you know, 50% of the fresh produce in the African supply chain is lost or stolen. So it's either spoils in transportation, it spoils at the market, or it just somehow disappears. So what we wanted to do is to eliminate that waste. And what we did is created and built these greenhouses just on the edge of the city centers so that we could transport our product less than 30 kilometers or, you know, 12 to 15 miles. And we wanted to pick fresh daily. That enabled us to pick fresh daily. So we had a very high nutrient dense product because your fresh produce loses 50% of its nutrients in the first three days after harvesting. FYI, when you're in the grocery store. Three days? <laughs> yeah, three days. Um, so much so, for those bananas that were picked, you know, <laughs> when they were totally green that, you know, a month later now are out on the shelf turning <laughs> yellow, right? Yeah. Well, at least the, 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 you know, imagine if you had to have a tomato sitting there on the, on the shelf that long. So we wanted to, um, you know, pick that produce, get it fresh to the market. And that allowed us to cut down on the carbon footprint. You know, most of the produce at the time that we entered the market in Botswana was all being imported from South Africa. About 80% of the produce was coming in a thousand kilometers from South Africa in a truck, sitting at the border, you know, taking its pretty time getting there, spoiling, you know, tomatoes had to be picked um, when they were still raw, effectively, which the retailers called this affectionate color called champagne, right, which meant yellow. Um, so they weren't, they, you know, the tomatoes were never tasty. They were never ripe. They would turn red, but they never tasted any better. Um, and so that was kind of the environment we we're in. So we were, we did that. We, we built two farms, one in um, the capital of Haberoni in Botswana, and then one way up north, a thousand kilometers, um, on the edge of the Akavanga Delta, which is a now a UNESCO World Heritage Site and, you know, one of the very best places in the world to go on safari. Um, and so we do a combination of selling to food service, um, you know, into the safari industry and into local restaurants and hotels, as well as to the local retailers. So we really make a lot of our profit by selling into food service, and that allows us to have a very good competitive price to sell into the local market. Um, so that's what we did with GoFresh. Um, and it's definitely been a, a, a journey. Um, it's been a, a very much a labor of love um, for me um, to try to build a team and to teach them these things. Um, and I had to teach myself, frankly, because I hadn't well, done this I think you're both teaching each other. I mean, you're learning culture yep. and, you know, how business gets done over there. And they're kind of learning the Western style of of American business and the, exactly. the mindset of a consultant and the decisions that have, you know, how you make them. Yeah. So, so it's been really fun. Um, and it's very, it's definitely very rewarding work. Um, before COVID, we were up to about 75 uh, employees, about 80% of our employees are women and head of their household. We're, down, we're now down to about 45, but hoping to uh, increase numbers again now that things are, are slowing down. So tell us about Crossover Meats. Where does this business come into play and why have you taken on the American market? Yeah. So I, um, the next business that I actually pivoted into and, um, is 
um, a company called Infinite Foods. And what I, and, I'll, and then I'll tell you how that, that relates to crossover because it was my accident baby. Um, <clears throat> so Infinite Foods was a business that I started to focus around protein. So if you think about um, we've solved a problem around fresh produce. I said that, you know, 50% of fresh produce is lost or stolen in the supply chain. So having high quality fresh produce available in the African market is an important part of improving food security and improving people's access to healthy, nutritious food. You know, the next big challenge in Africa is going to be access to protein. And um, across Africa, and into South Asia for in, in most of the rest of the world, protein consumption is relatively low. Um, so even in South Africa, which is the highest uh, per capita consumers of protein uh, across the continent, you know the Af- the South African consumer eats half, fifty percent of what Americans do on a daily basis. Um, and as you move outside of South Africa, especially as you move north, uh, meat and dairy consumption drops precipitously. Um, in part because it's very expensive, um, in part because in the rural areas there's not refrigeration. So, you know, when you slaughter an animal, you have to eat the whole thing. So you do it for family gatherings. And and um, and in, in that context, but if you look at, you know, we're all talking about, you know, 2050 and the food security crisis that will come if we don't adjust and change our ways of growing and producing food. If you look at where the growth of the protein is coming from, it's actually not coming from the U.S. You know, we are in Europe. I mean, we are big per capita consumers. You know, 325 million Americans consume more meat and dairy than an entire billion Africans today. However, if you look forward to 2050, um, the growth in where protein demand is coming from, it's coming from Africa and South Asia where the populations are growing and where people are moving into the middle class. And it's just a natural, you can watch the cycle everywhere. Um, It's just a natural evolution as people move into the middle class and have more more disposable income, they're going to start consuming more um, meat and dairy products. So Infinite Foods was started to say, well, can we not help the continent leapfrog to a healthier and sustainable food system? If we're going from a low protein meat and dairy consumption base and we went from you know no phones to cell phones, and we went from no banks to internet banks. Could we not go from what is a low consumption of meat and dairy products and a largely regenerative agriculture system, and could we not leapfrog to something that looked a lot more like a plant-based protein world, where we're consuming uh, our protein calories in a very efficient way, by consuming them directly from plants instead of pushing them through animals to get there. And that's what Infinite Foods was all about. And and we started the company in 2019. Uh, We represented all of the leading plant-based food brands um, like Beyond Meat and brought them into Africa for the first time. And we can talk more about that business. It's kind of, it's an interesting one um, to see where it fits in in the context of what we're seeing today in the U.S. where the plant-based industry is really taking some knocks. Um, and I have lots of opinions about that. So we can have a whole conversation about that. But yeah, I want we'll to save that for, you know, podcast. We'll save that for part another two. day. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but what happened was I was um, coming out of a meeting, strangely enough, at Impossible Foods on the West Coast, I was in the United States, and I got a call from one of my advisors, and um, he had 
an opportunity. He said, look, there's this Stanford professor who's pitching this company called EcoMeet. And, you know, I'm not interested in looking at it, but, you know, if you're interested, why don't you take a look? And I said, EcoMeet, like that, that doesn't sound very good. Um, but hey, you know, I was in California and I figured out that, you know, coffee's like $15 a cup. And this guy was offering to take me out to, to, for coffee in Palo Alto. And I was like, I'm going. Um, and so we sat down and he shared with me um, his research and what he had done. And, and he had come out of the same lab as Impossible Foods, where they were effectively studying the molecular makeup of meat and trying to understand why meat was meat. And Pat Brown took that body of research and he went off and found it impossible and effectively created the three main components of meat that they discovered, which is basically lean muscle protein, fat, and iron, blood, hemoglobin, whatever you want to call it. And he's recreated all of those elements out of plants. And this other um, a professor in his lab said, you know, that's all great, but the challenge is we have a couple of problems. You know, one is this hamburger is $6. <laughs> so it's going to make it really inaccessible. Yeah, to, it's not even approaching price parity. Right, it's not even approaching price parity. And so it's going to make it very inaccessible to a lot of people around the world, let alone, you know, everyday Americans. And the second problem is it requires GMO, right? So in order to recreate the blood, we're um, going through a fer fermentation process and we're taking GMO soybeans and we're, we're making a genetic modification. And that might be acceptable in the US, but as you try to start going into Europe and Africa, you're going to run into all sorts of regulatory hurdles. And the third problem is, and we've seen this come to life, which is it requires a lot of behavior change. It requires people to say, I'm going to stop eating meat and I'm going to start eating this hamburger made out of plants. And um, we're seeing that that adoption curve is very slow with you know, only 1.4% of all retail meat sales now being plant-based meat, despite all of this hype. Now, and investment. I'm, and investment. Now, granted, I'm a vegan, okay? But <laughs> I'm looking at this, at this technology that this professor had come up with, and basically what he said is he went back to the drawing board and said, all right, creating this out of plants is one solution, but maybe there's something much, much simpler. And he said, he looked at it, he said, if we just take the lean muscle component of ground meat products, hamburgers, meatballs, you know, whatever it is you're making, and we replace the lean muscle protein with poultry and leave everything else the same, leave the beef blood, leave the beef fat, we can recreate a hamburger product that is 50% better for the environment 20% less expensive at a molecular level basically is beef and is very easy to adopt because it's hundred percent all natural real meat, which is what most people want. And so, you know, I was, it's funny cause I was sitting there listening to him and I'm sitting there with my Africa hat on and there's a quote that is attributed to Bill Gates. And I'm not sure that he actually said this, but he said, if you want to uh, solve food uh, security or hunger in the world, give everyone a chicken. You know, poultry is very scalable. It's pretty easy to do around the world. And so I'm thinking about this in the context of Africa saying, hey, if I could make a hamburger out of chicken, 
that would be highly scalable and it would be much better for the environment. And that would be a way of dealing with this big surge that's going to happen in protein consumption in Africa. And so I said, I'll do it. I'll take it right there, in the, in the, right there in the cafe. I'm like, I'm in. Um, and of course, as I started to build my business plan, I had to, you know, I came to the quick realization that the United States was the biggest ground meat market in the world. And that's really where I needed to start. And so we built a company. Uh, so I accidentally started another company in 2019, which, by the way, was a really brilliant idea on my part. Um, <laughs> so we started a new company called Crossover Meats uh, to commercialize this product and to take it from, you know, the lab and the, and the research into, into reality. And so that's what we've done. We have um, we had started the company in 2019 had identified our co-packer, who's also an equity partner with us, um, Jensen Meat Company, which is a very reputable mid-tier meat processor on the West Coast, newest meat processing plant west of the Mississippi. Um, we had gone through all our USDA approvals and we're kind of ready to really go to market when you know Q1 2020 hit. So we put the business kind of on the back burner a bit, put it down to oxygen and water during COVID, and then we really restarted sales in you know late 2021 going into 2022. What I love about your website is that you make it very clean, very it's very simple to understand that you're you're really providing these blends. And I want you to talk a little bit about this because when you're looking at the products, it says uh, you have a blend of chicken and pork, you've got a blend of chicken and beef and a blend of chicken and lamb. So, tell us a little bit more about this this blending uh, that you've been discussing. Yeah. So what what we've done is we've effectively recreated three flavors of ground of ground meat. So beef, and then we've got some real innovation then in both the pork and the lamb. And it's great because this recipe could be extended to all sorts of different protein. You know, I could do it with buffalo <laughs> or game meat or all sorts of different things. Um, but we have blended the beef and chicken to create a, a, a hamburger substitute. And then we've created some innovation because, you know, we know that hamburgers and ground meat is center of the plate family meals. Yet even all of us who love burgers, you know, get bored once in a while. <laughs> so we created an opportunity to actually do the same type of thing with pork and with lamb. And it's amazing how wonderful these burgers are in terms of providing something different. Um, that's a burger. It cooks from frozen you know, 12 minutes from the freezer to being able to put on the on the table. Fantastic for, you know, busy moms who are feeding the kids and getting them off to practice. Um, and you don't have to say, oh, I forgot to go to the grocery store and buy my ground beef. You can just literally pick them out of the freezer and go, just like we learned during COVID, right? So, um, and then the lamb is a wonderful blend because it creates a very mild lamb burger. So it's not a real gamey lamb burger, but it's a fraction of the price. So, you know, uh, lamb burgers have been very popular on a lot of restaurant menus, uh, for example, but they're exorbitantly expensive. And this uh, blend allows us to basically give restaurants a lamb burger or, or, and, and make them also available into retail for about half the price. So um, we have innovation in terms of being able to offer this new blended poultry and meat solution in beef, in pork, and in lamb. 
Um, and we're really excited about getting them to market. We are currently corporate listed with Cisco. Um, so all of you guys out there who buy from Cisco, call your call your neighborhood Cisco rep and tell exactly. them they love so the product. You're already in that distribution. So right now, are you focused on food service? Is that your easy play, the most natural well, play? Yeah. And then you're looking to expand more into retail. What's the what, what's the plan here? Yeah, you know the the original plan was to start in food service and then move to retail afterwards. You know we are a startup company. We're privately funded. I didn't really feel like. I had the marketing muscles and the dollars to be able to go after retail right out of the gate. But I think, as we all know, the food service market has been highly disrupted over the last two years. It's been very difficult to work with the distributors um, because they're reorganizing um, and getting their governance back in order. Uh, Everybody's very busy just trying to keep on top of supply chain and labor issues. Restaurants have been hesitant to change menu because they're again, struggling with supply chain and labor issues. And so we've actually found much bigger acceptance in the retail channel. We currently have 40 retailers in our pipeline and hope to be in the retail market uh, this quarter. And we also will be launching a direct-to-consumer play, hopefully at the beginning of October. So um, we weren't going to go direct-to-consumer, but we... um, well, I'm tired of waiting. <laughs> so, so we're going to go, we're going to give the people what they want. So they're going to be able to get their crossover burgers online. <laughs> yeah, that's great. And you know, that worked for some companies. Well, if you can figure out the logistics and making sure, you know, you're getting a perishable product there, you know, yeah. it, it definitely works. Um, I mean, there is just so much here to unpack. And I think that I think what we'll probably do is we'll probably just have a live stream with you at some point and just kind of talk through what's happening, you know, in retail. How are you getting those customers into trial and adoption? Because we do talk about that quite a bit. Um, You'll probably be getting ready for demos and samples as you get into the retail because that's really that's what customers want. That's how you got to roll. You got it. They got to. They got to try it. They got to see. You're going to have to work on, you know, yourself or your brand ambassadors getting out there, you know, doing those demos. It's going to be an exciting time. It's fun getting into retail. It's very challenging. But then the work begins. You've got about 70% of the work in front of you, you know, just now that you're in retail. Now you got to get customers to buy it. Yeah, we are up for the task. Uh, And, and, you know, if we do our job right on the marketing side, I really think the consumer is going to drive this adoption. It's just, if you just think about the environment now and what consumers are looking for, right? They're, they, they would love to, you know, we know that 50% of the, at least 50% of the consumers are looking for sustainable options and environmentally friendly options when they go to shop. On the other hand, we also recognize that they don't want to give up convenience and they don't really want to pay more. So we're able to actually give consumers an environmentally um, improved product, significant environment improvements. So I've been reading some of these things about, you know, the USDA has approved so-and-so to say that they've got 5% less emissions on their beef. I'm like, 5%? Okay, there's a lot of beef. So 5% on a lot of beef. All right, well, nobody's going to complain about saving the planet, but we're 50% better on water, on land use, on CO2, 50%. Right, because so, you're using chicken and you're using, using small chicken. livestock. And we're using, you know, we're using whole cut, a wholesome chicken breast. We're not using MDM or MSC or organ meat or anything weird. 
were using, because, all right, so I'm the only lunatic vegan that would start a meat company. But I have standards then, right? You know, if I'm going to be launching this product into the market, I want to know that it has wholesome products, ingredients. I want to know that it's healthier and lower in trans fats for the consumer. I want to know that it's convenient and actually helps moms, you know, do their do the good work that they do uh, every day, you know, feeding their families and getting the kids out the door. So I want to make sure that we are working very closely with a very high quality uh, processing partner who has excellent HR practices and strong sourcing practices. So I want to make sure that we as a company are doing the right thing in launching this product and really having a product that consumers can feel good about. Michelle, did I read somewhere that You've started like a, a GoFundMe or you're doing some sort of an investment. I, 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 I'm not sure what I saw. Yeah. So we have launched a GoFundMe for the farms in Botswana. Oh, okay. Um, That's so what after, yeah. So after, um, you know, so it's, it's literally been a 10-year journey. And what we're trying to do right now is begin the transition of ownership and leadership uh, to our local staff. Okay, so this um, is the go fresh. This is the go side fresh, fresh produce business, okay. right? So this is a go fresh go, uh, produce business. Uh, you can find us online at gofresh.farm. and you can also find us on social media at gofresh underscore bw for Botswana. And the link to our GoFundMe is there. Um, and so what we're trying to do is we're trying to raise money for some key infrastructure upgrades that we need to undertake after COVID. We really got clobbered during COVID because of the hospitality and food service industry getting crushed. Um, and we are beginning the transition to local leadership. So it's starting with our farm in Haberoni in the, in the capital. Actually, on October 1, I'm going to be transitioning ownership um, of that farm to one of my key employees. So we're trying to provide some financial support and make sure that the farms are really top notch as we hand them over. And so we would love the support from anybody who's interested in helping empower um, our teams uh, to take ownership for this and to create financial security for themselves um, while delivering a really high quality product to consumers in the marketplace. Um, and we would we would love and appreciate anybody's support uh, along the way. That's a big milestone, you know, when you can transfer ownership. Now, when it comes to uh, crossover meats, what's the best way for people to connect with that brand? Right now, it sounds like it'll be direct to consumer as you're still getting those retailers ramped up. So for the direct to consumer side, what's the best way? Yeah. So for the direct to consumer side, go to our website and you can sign up for our newsletter and you can put a little message in there saying that you're interested in the pre-launch. So we'll start taking pre-orders for the direct to consumer business. Um, you can also email hello at crossovermeats.com um, and put your name on the list for pre-launch and then watch our social media, which is at Crossover Meats. We'll start doing a bunch of pre-launch activities and start taking pre-orders for uh, the direct-to-consumer launch. Oh, I love it. So we're really on the front end of this. So we really are. We're trendsetters here on Winning You are. I you are it. trending. <laughs> I love it. This is going to trend. Michelle, there's just so much more we could talk about, but I think this is a good stopping point for everyone to kind of digest everything that they've just learned. Definitely encourage everyone to go there and check out the website, check out the GoFundMe page and uh, get in line, you know, and try some of these, uh, some of these burgers. And because of the, uh, with, some of the issues that you and I have had, I'm actually looking forward to having the samples. 
Well, you'll be, I will be burgers, putting burgers them to on the, the test. way to you on Monday. <laughs> yes, I'll be putting them to the test and I'll let everybody know because I'm, you know, um, I'm not a, I'm not a vegan. I am a flexitarian. So um, I try everything. So that's great. Michelle, thank you so much for being here today on Winning at Work. You're very welcome. It's been a pleasure. Been doing a lot of talking today. So we can, I'm looking forward to maybe doing some follow-ups and diving deeper on some of these topics. Well, I, we absolutely will. So this is just kind of a, a precursor because you've got so much in front of you and we'll do some follow-up on that. So again, thanks so much. Oh, you're very welcome.